0: Welcome to today's edition of Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Turing. Today's broadcast is being brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. second half of the narrative of the fiery furnace. Daniel 3, we'll begin reading in verse 8. Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the clarinet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut psaltery and dulcimer and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if you be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the coronet, the flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if you worship not, you shall be cast at the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. As we go through the passages here in Daniel, if you would just turn over to Ephesians, to a familiar passage in Ephesians 6. But we just need to be reminded of what Paul wrote to his letter to the church at Ephesus when he is dealing with the troubles that they were dealing with there. Paul in Ephesians 6 goes through and he tells about the normal story that we are all familiar with about putting on the whole armor of God because at that time in 65 AD Nero was on the throne and many of the Christians are being burned alive. Many of them are experiencing absolute nightmares in their life. Not for doing anything wrong, but just simply because of their faith in the Lord and openly showing that, similar to what we find in the story of Daniel. But we have to be reminded, because Paul writes to them in verse 12 of chapter 6, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Now many would say, I don't know about that. Because in the reality of things, who is the one who is actually tying the person to the stake? Who is the one that is actually lighting the flames that are beneath their feet? Who is the one that is in control? It's a human being. It's a person of flesh and blood. And so the idea there that Paul is trying to deal with is is they're not really warring against flesh and blood. Although it seems as though we are. These people are our absolute enemies. But he's saying... We're not actually warring against flesh and blood because the reality of it, the thing that are behind all these people, it says, are powers, rulers of darkness, the rulers of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. So what he is saying is, is yeah, people are actually taking this and doing what they're doing to you, but I just want you to know that the reason that they're doing it is not because of their own doing. It's because there's something very wicked behind them. There is spiritual wickedness in high places, rulers, and he calls them rulers of the darkness. Now, we don't normally recognize this, but you do recognize it more so in politics because our lives are somewhat small. And right now we're in a country that there is no persecution because our military is wonderful and our Declaration of Independence and all the things the way that our country is set up, primarily upon the gospel, we don't have to endure most of the things that other people in the world have to endure. But you can still see it in politics because that's where the head is. That's where the principalities and powers are. The spiritual wickedness in high places. And so the devil himself is more concerned. Our arch enemy is more concerned with the upper rails of the politics. And it was the same way back here. So when we're back in our text in Daniel chapter 3, what we're doing is, is we are seeing the veil pulled back so that we can see behind the curtain of things that are making things move. And so when we read through this, it looks as if it's just a story. This is a story. A guy made up an image. He was a king. He's got a problem. He makes everybody bow down whenever you hear the music. And we dealt with that last week while there are prophetical implications. But what I'd like to do, even before we get to Daniel, is to go back a little further and pull the curtain back some more. So Daniel's a prophet. He's preaching somewhere around 603 BC. Well, what I would like to do is back up maybe about a hundred years further and get glimpses of what the other prophets saw of what Daniel was speaking of. So if you throw your ribbon in here again, we'll be in Isaiah 13, and we we'll just want to run through this because we're going to deal probably more in Isaiah 11, 12, and 13 when we get into the latter chapters in the book of Daniel. Isaiah the prophet here in these chapters is also dealing with the transformation or the transfer of dominion and power there are kingdoms coming and kingdoms going. So if you look at it in Isaiah 11, we have a very familiar passage of Scripture where he talks about the Millennium in verse 6 of Isaiah 11. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and little child shall lead them. We're familiar with that. He's talking of the golden age, the Millennium. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb. The whole earth will be changed. There won't be no longer carnivorous animals any longer because the curse will be lifted. But what Isaiah does is he sees things a little bit cloudy. He's going to see things near and far and he doesn't know the time frame of things. He's going to see hundred years future in prophesying and he's also going to see a thousand years in what's happening in the future. And he can't put that all together. So what he does for us is he just writes them down. And then it's for us to compare Scripture with Scripture and to find out what he's talking about. So as he's writing this, he doesn't write it in order. Actually, what he does is he writes it backward. So remember in Daniel, he gives the vision of the dream. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. The head is gold, then you have silver, then brass, and then iron. And he gives the direction. Babylon, then the Medo-Persian Empire, then the Grecian Empire, then the Roman Empire, and he goes through history. What's interesting about this is we're going backward because the final kingdom, of course, is Jesus' kingdom. But here, if you look and you just read through these chapters, he talks of first Jesus' kingdom, the millennium, and then we get into chapter 13, and he's talking about Babylon. Look at 13.1. The burden of Babylon which Isaiah the son of Amos did see. And he calls it a burden because in his soul, he's bothered. He's burdened by it because it's terrible bad news. So when you go through this, he says, Lift up a banner upon the high mountain. Exalt the voice of them that shake the hand, that they may go into the gates of the nobles. I have commanded my sanctified, this is God speaking, I have commanded my sanctified ones... I have also called my mighty ones for mine anger, even them that rejoice in my highness, the noise of the multitude in the mountains, like as of a great people, a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms, of nations gathered together. Now notice, the Lord of hosts mustereth the hosts of the battle. The picture that he is describing All the armies of the world are coming together. God has assembled them. And what we see is a huge, I mean, battalions after battalions after battalions rattling their sabers. And it says that the Lord has mustered these battalions together. Now, as we go through, we have to find who and when is the prophet talking about. Well, we already know he's talking about Babylon But we also know that Babylon, according to Peter, was significant with Rome. You see, now you have to have the teachings of Daniel all in your mind as you're going through these prophets because the Bible interprets itself. So if you're not familiar with Daniel, then we won't know what's happening here. If you don't know what's happening here, then it's difficult to understand Daniel, which then makes it difficult to understand the book of Revelation. And that's where all backsliders and sinners go, and they don't understand anything. (laughs) But it sounds weird, so let's go there anyway. So what he's dealing with here, Babylon at the time of Babylon in the future, because remember, we're a hundred years behind Daniel here. Well, you read on, and he says, if you come all the way down to verse 10, he says, For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. This is the verse that Jesus quotes in the Olivet Discourse. So, if Jesus is talking about this in the Olivet Discourse in a future tense, then you know he's not talking about the Babylon of Mesopotamia. You see, we have two Babylons throughout Scripture. You have the Babylon, the historical Babylon that was that of the part of Mesopotamia. Then you also have the Babylon that is described which is the Roman Empire Babylon. And so we put these two together and we find out, all right, he's not talking about here the Babylonian Empire which was part of Mesopotamia, because this is the future of Jesus Christ. So he talks about the stars falling from the sky. Jesus says, this is the end of the days. At the very end time, there will be a huge war. We know that as Armageddon. And the stars themselves will fall from the sky. The sun will be darkened. The heavens themselves will shake. And I don't want to go through all that. Jesus teaches us that in the discourse. But what he does here, because if you just go over to the next column, in verse 17, he says, Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them. Now he's cluing you in to say, okay, now I'm talking about the other historical period. Because we know just in regular history who comes after the Babylonian Empire. The Medo-Persian Empire. So you see how the prophet, he's seeing things a little bit blurry. He doesn't know. It. Are we talking about this time? Are we talking about this time? And what it happens is, is he's giving clues through both so that we know how to rightly divide the word of truth and understand what he's saying. So here then, he says, Well, behold, I will stir up the Medes and the Persians against them, and they shall not regard silver and ask for gold. They shall not delight in it. They're not going to be bought off. You're not going to pay a ransom. The Persian Empire is going to come in and crush down the Babylonians. They will take no prisoners. Everyone will be butchered. And we go a little further in chapter 14. And again, he's talking of the king of Babylon. Look at chapter 14 and verse 4. Thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How hath the oppressor ceased? The golden city has ceased. It's amazing. It's with emphasis. The prophet is bothered by it. It's the burden of Babylon. Now, continue reading on, which we don't have time. He just says the whole earth is at first at rest. So he's talking to them in the golden age. But then he says concerning the king of verse 9, hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. He's talking of the king of Babylon. Verse 10, all they shall speak and say unto thee, art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp is brought down to the grave and the noise of thy vials. The worm is sprung and you're going down. But then he says something interesting in 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Now, if you're reading the prophet, it's like, you remember in the New Testament when they were preaching the gospel, and the guy, the Ethiopian eunuch, travels all the way to Jerusalem to hear what's going on over there, and then he buys, because he's wealthy, he buys a scroll of Isaiah, and he's reading it on his way home on his caravan, and he goes, I can't tell who the prophet is talking about. Is he talking about himself, or is he talking about somebody else? Because it seems to change gears halfway through. And it does Here. Clearly at first, verse 14, because he says we're talking about the king of Babylon, but then all of a sudden in verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? I thought we were talking about the king of Babylon. And what he's doing is, is he's taking an overlay, the clear plastic overlay, and he's saying, this is what I'm talking about, but I want to show you actually what's really behind what I'm talking about. We're talking about Babylon. We're talking about a king who is ruthless. We're talking about a king that will set up an image and everyone will bow down Anytime you hear the music play. They will worship me. But who's really behind that? Because what did Paul write in Ephesians? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. And so what Isaiah the prophet here is saying, well, we're talking about the king of Babylon, yes, but who's really behind the king of Babylon? Lucifer himself. So much so that he is addressing him as if he is Lucifer. Or back and forth. He could be addressing Nebuchadnezzar as Lucifer or Lucifer as Nebuchadnezzar. They're so closely linked here in the story that he's saying you can almost not tell the difference between the two. And look what he says concerning this. Oh Lucifer, son of the morning. Now those of us who know, that's a real close To Jesus Christ, the morning star, the son of the morning. Because we're well of the wiles of the devil. He is acting as an angel of light. The devil doesn't come around with a pitchfork and a tail. He's going to come and bless you with all kinds of things. Anything that he needs to do to get your attention so that you don't pay attention. The son of the morning, how thou art cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations. You see the chaos in the nations. That explains why there's war. How can another person shoot on purpose another person in the face and blow half their face off? He says in 13, what's really behind all this? For thou hast said in thine heart, Lucifer or Nebuchadnezzar, both maybe, Thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. He has an enormous level of pride and arrogance. I will do this. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Isn't that what he's always tried to be? He's tried to usurp God's throne. He tries to imitate God. He's the great counterfeiter, the deceiver, who acts and wants to be treated as though he is the sovereign. I will be like the Most High. He sticks out his chest and pronounces. So what we see here is both together, and both are highly influenced. Now the New Testament tells us, Paul writes to Timothy, You have to be careful with the traps of the devil because he says something very dangerous there in the New Testament concerning, actually he says two things concerning unconverted people, people who are not born again. One, he says that the devil is able to take them at his will. In other words, it's not hard. The traps of the devil. I'm not talking of demons, I'm talking of our arch enemy, the devil. Even the archangel says, I don't want to bring a railing accusation against that particular one. Paul says to Timothy, be careful what you do, because the devil is able to take the unconverted, not the believers, but the unconverted, at his will. It's easy. Paul also says in Romans that the people who are unconverted are slaves to sin. They can't stop themselves. Even if they want to, they can't. And haven't we seen this with people over and over, especially now because heroin is becoming so bad, or fentanyl? They know. We're getting bad fentanyl from China. Everyone knows. They sure know it. Yet, we can't stop. So when we're looking at this, we can kind of get an idea All right, well, he's talking about Babylon, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. So let's move forward a hundred years to our text then and then put the pieces together. We have found that the king has set up an image to worship. We have also found that the people that he has chosen to serve him are all those who are very familiar with the curious arts. The magi, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, all people who are involved in the blackness and the darkness Of the devil himself. So when we come here now, he's made this decree. Everyone has to bow down and worship every time you hear the music. And of course, we know what happens. Verse 8, chapter 3 of Daniel. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. Certain Chaldeans. They are the highly educated elites. This is the staunch liberal professors in most of our universities don't question me because I have all the letters after my name. I am the professor. You are only the student. The only humility they know is fictitious. They're what Paul says, they are a lewd fellows of the baser sort. That's who the king's advisors are, the Chaldeans. They are fueling the flames and they are going to fulfill Satan's title as the accuser. And what are they doing here? They're accusing the Jews. The accuser of the brethren. So we see the arch enemy here is standing up not all the way, but enough that we can see. So look what happens. They accuse the Jews. Verse 9, "...they spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, has made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image." They're not telling him anything he doesn't know. Why are they repeating the decree? Verse 11, Oh, and by the way, and the decree, Whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And there are certain Jews, whom you, look at this, you see the accusing that's going on. These men are not helping him. They are on his cabinet. They are supposed to be in support of the king. They are in no shape like that though. They are accusing the king with purpose. There are certain Jews whom thou hast over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, that you have set over the affairs of our province, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods. Now notice, it's not, they don't regard us. They don't serve our gods of Babylonian. All the arrows are now are all focused on him. And so they don't regard you, O king. They don't serve your gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They are absolutely backing him into a corner. You can see the demons and the devil all around him whispering, Yeah, you can't take that. You're not going to take that. There's no way you can take that. Do you hear what they're saying? And you can hear. Now, remember in Isaiah, I will ascend to the throne. I will sit upon the thing. I will be the man. What it is, is the pride of Nebuchadnezzar. The devil knows this because they too are just alike. And they're prodding and poking and getting him and they're pushing his buttons to the point where they know he cannot stop himself. They're backing him right into a corner where he's got nowhere to go. And you can see, because it's verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded, and you can almost see the talons of the devil appear out of the darkness around his throat. He is absolutely furious. In his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Now look at it. This is so interesting because he is absolutely furious and raging at what is being said. Yet in 14, he tries to give them an out. Now you've got to remember, Nebuchadnezzar, these are people who have helped him. I had a terrible dream. Nobody else could help me. But Daniel did and his fellows. There's been 20 years of relationship. These men have been living with integrity. They have been helping him. Not like the Chaldeans who are just, everyone's out for themselves. But Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego, these guys are actually serving the king with actual humility. And so he's shocked by this. And so look at it in 14. Even though he's in absolute rage, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true? Oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Do you not serve my gods? You can see signs of benevolence in him. Don't you? When he's in this room, these people are just spiking him on. But in reality, he knows. I like these guys. Is it true? He's trying to do something. Do you not serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up? And look at verse 15. He gives them another chance. Now, if you be ready at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer and all kinds of music and you fall down and worship the image which I have made well, he's giving him another chance does anybody see Jesus in this picture? you should what we're doing is, is we're learning the wiles of the devil and they don't change so Pontius Pilate I don't find any fault in this man he's done nothing wrong And they shouted out, Crucify him. And he says, Shall I crucify your king? And then they do the exact same thing. We have no king but Caesar. Maybe you're not a friend to Caesar. Well, away with him then. He tries to give them another chance. If you guys will just do this, you can almost, in his mind, he's thinking, For me, just do it. Fall down and worship the image. And again, we know this isn't talking only of the historical narrative. We have an Antichrist coming. And when you get the little alarm on your 5G network cell phone that says, Bow down and worship, you will bow down and worship. Even if there is a person who is in state who says, You know, I actually like that guy. Too bad. Do it. And look at the response. Here's where I kind of struggle a little. Maybe you do too. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, look how it says, they answered and said to the king, O oh Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to even answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, You know, there are certain places where we need to be diplomatic. <laughs> We're about to be thrown into a fireplace here. Maybe we should try being a little bit diplomatic. You know that he's trying to help them. But they are just independent, fundamental, God-fearing, sin-hating, King James-carrying kind of people. We're not bowing down. I will not do it. I will not do it. If so be our God whom we serve, he's able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Now notice their words. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. They know there's a good chance we're not going to make it. Our God is able to deliver us out of the fiery furnace. But we are sure he'll deliver us out of your hand either by way of death or a miracle. But either way, we're good. So be it known unto you, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up." Now notice here in 19, Then Nebuchadnezzar, he is full of fury. And look at it, and the form of his visage was changed. What do we see? He has now been taken captive. He has changed. He is like Judas Iscariot; the devil has entered into him, and you can even see it on his face. His is which changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're no longer our friends. Because the truth is, is you're either on our side or you're not. You are either converted or you are not. You are either born again or you are not. You are either in the camp that's going for the cross or you are against it. There's no in between. So we see what happens then. These men were bound in their coats, in their hosen, in their hats, and in other garments. The reason that the author writes that down, Daniel says, because this is done in haste, because normally they're stripped naked before they're tortured to death. It's part of the humility. It's why Jesus, before He went to the cross, they stripped them naked. Part of the punishment is, is we're going to totally humiliate you in front of everybody before we kill you. But this was so hasty, because He's so enraged. Because the devil is so upset. We're going to burn them right in their clothes, their hats, their hosen, everything they got on. We're going to kill them and burn them alive. Throw them in. And in the meantime, get the largest, bulkiest men of my army to get them to tie them up and to throw them in. So 21, these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast them in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And look at it. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did we not cast three men into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king, three men went down into the pit. Verse 25, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth, is like the Son of God Himself. Our good King would go with them into the fire to make sure that they were comfortable there and save their lives. Now, the question is, is we know that Jesus Christ doesn't have to make a special appearance with them to save them. He doesn't have to do that. You can only speak the word and my servant will be healed. He doesn't need to show the appearance. He doesn't do this. Then your question is, is why does He do that? Why does He make a special appearance? This is what we know of as a Christophany. Jesus Christ appearing in the form of flesh before Bethlehem. He's showing in His humanhood. And He's coming alongside His people. But why is He doing that? It's grace. He's not showing Himself from Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. He's showing Himself and revealing Himself for Nebuchadnezzar, the king. Isn't that amazing grace? The one who is the anti, the vilest offender, the sinner himself, Nebuchadnezzar, the epitome of wickedness, who is the one who threw these men into the flames, is being shown grace. What Jesus is saying to him is, here I am. Look, I'm saving these people from you that's why he says and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God how does he know that the only way you can know that is as if God revealed it to him isn't that like us Just drenched in sin yet he reveals himself to us this is real this isn't folklore this is how God works He reaches down even to the worst sinners and says, well, let me show you something. And this isn't his first time. It's grace after grace after grace. It's marvelous, wonderful, matchless grace. Just like us. And look at the response. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come forth and come here. And they do. Well, I thought, wait a minute. I thought he was a picture of the devil. There's one thing that the devil cannot duplicate or make in a counterfeit way. He will never, ever imitate grace. He'll imitate God down to the T. But I'm not letting you go. That's how we know who we're dealing with. They come forth out of the midst of the fire and look at it. The princes and the governors and the captains and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was there a hair of their head singed, neither was their coats changed, nor even the smell of the fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants and trusted in him and have changed The king's word. What does that mean? Change the king's word. Because nobody can change except for the king of kings. He is the only one. And Nebuchadnezzar, you can see him. He's coming along. You are an absolute vile offender. But you see him coming. He's coming to Christ and I think he's about to get saved. Maybe it's someone here who needs to get saved. Because blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who hath sent his angel, changed the word of the king. Therefore, he makes a new decree that every people, nation, language which speak anything omits against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. He's starting to actually look like the king. He will rule with a rod of iron. You see the millennium starting to seep in here. Anybody who doesn't, before, bow down and worship the Antichrist. After that is crushed with a stone that is cut out without hands, the king will rule from Zion. And so they are promoted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, into the province of Babylon. You've been listening to Time in the Vineyard with Pastor Teacher Jeff Toring. Today's broadcast was brought to you from the pulpit of Liberty Valley Church, Northfield, Ohio. For more information, you can call the church at 330-554-7606 or check us out on the web at libertyvalleychurch.org. That's libertyvalleychurch.org.